Welcome to the New Year's Eve edition of the podcast. We kind of started, or we're ending this year the way we started, but in a different house. Different house, clearly under a phase of destruction. But we sound better than we used to in your living room, or dining room. Yeah, quite possibly, minus all the background noises, I'm sure. Um, yeah, there's. it's been a while since we've had alcohol on the podcast. Yes, for good reason. The last time we had alcohol on the podcast, it was, it was a train wrecky. Yeah, but that wasn't us drinking. No. But yeah, even worse, I would say. <laughs> no, it's been a while, mostly because I've been coming over to your place for yeah. the podcast. And but now you know how I feel about I going drive. to your place. Yeah. I wasn't able to drink at your place, except when uh, St. Patrick's Day happened. Fair enough. An interesting development in the region is I've heard that for ride checks... When you're driving about now, they do they're doing this thing where at certain stations it's like mandatory every driver blows a breathalyzer. Well, they don't need reasonable reasonable cause, mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be every driver. Mm-hmm. They do, from what I understand, reading the articles, every night that they have a ride program, they'll check a hundred percent of certain segments of the night. So they'll say every car between yeah. nine thirty and ten, which no is mostly what. what I'm talking about. Yeah, which is an interesting development. It it definitely will call out a ton of tears, obviously. Way. Yeah. To this weird afternoon. It'll call out a lot more people that are just having one, two, three drinks that maybe would still blow under a, even a worn range, but they're now getting something on a breathalyzer just because they're blowing despite having no obvious sign that they're impaired. I don't really know what to think of it. I mean, if you start charging people that maybe had a beer and then decided to drive about 50 minutes later, it's kind of it's getting a little bit far i don't know how much of a danger those people actually are to everybody else on the road but they've still made the decision to drink before driving so i don't know you could argue that i do i don't think i've ever partaken in any type of driving after drinking i do with every effort make sure that I'm never drink or never driving after I'm drinking, even for prolonged periods of time. It's been a lot of couch sleeping and whatnot, but it's a safe way to go. It, I don't know how much of a sure bet it was, but having the app Alcadroid on my phone, which I've talked with probably last year, exactly (laughs) because of the whole thing of measuring alcohol as you go, you could say you have reasonable cause to believe, you know, for a fact when your alcohol blood content has hit zero. Because it gives you a fairly, I argue, probably fairly accurate way of of describing that. Just based, you could talk about your body weight and all the factors that play into your blood alcohol content. So I don't know. I wonder because the Niagara uh, Regional Police have a decent social media following. They're they're quite active on social media. Mm-hmm. I don't know if other police sectors are, but I wonder if we could somehow use that app. And get one of them involved and see how accurate it is on the podcast. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a, a dream. I don't, what kind of situation could we get an officer to just sit around while we. Well, they have a. They, we, we, we just need access to a breathalyzer. That's what we need. Yeah. Because then we could just do it by ourselves. Are there commercially available breathalyzers? Probably they, not for cheap. Yeah. I don't know what the units are. They put in, in cars the ignition locks for like people who have impaired driving charges, but clearly those things are available for people to use, and they're in, in, designed for a way for the public to interact with them. So there's got to be some system you could buy that isn't insanely expensive. 
I mean, it's you, true. In the States, you at every truck stop, you could buy the little breathalyzer pack that was like a yes or no, like legal limit. You still have that somewhere, right? Yeah. No, I, I don't know where it is. <laughs> that seems to be a recurring theme. I don't know where most of the things I own are, but... But, no. Like a digital one, one that gives you a hmm? number a, a number readout, digital breathalyzer. I'm sure we could find one. Actually, talking to... there's There seems to be like one designated social media rep for the Niagara Regional Police. And I don't exactly know how interesting their conversation would be because they obviously can't... Well, I don't know. They wouldn't be able to get into details with stories and whatnot, but learning the day in the life of a Niagara Regional Police police officer, I, I don't know. It would be a dream come true if we could film the equivalent of, like, cops, but, like, in small Ontario towns. I've, I, the, I love the way they film cops. It was very good. <laughs> Uh, Cops was a good show. It the one episode always sticks in my mind, and I can never get rid of it because I was just young enough at the time to be really freaked out. There was a crossover between X Files and Cops. Okay, I thought you were gonna say the Russia season for a sec, but no. And I don't know if it was specifically Cops or if it was X-Files. I'm pretty sure it was X-Files. But the entire episode involved the police officers trying to catch a murder suspect that ended up being a werewolf. (laughs) So it was shot like Cops. And then, you know, Mulder and Scully show up and all these people are dying and they almost get to the werewolf not quite in time somebody's dead and they're like oh and I'll, I'll never forget they're like trying to make sure he's okay and they just squeeze his chest and blood just pours out in the shape of uh um claws it was a very freaky episode wow i really hope it exists and it's not something that was a figment of my imagination well, if it is then you could create it that's true so the, at least you have the copyright on that but one. uh no, that fucked me up because hmm. when you see a show that's supposed to be real, definitely not cops that you were watching. I'm gonna. I have no reason not to check it right now. Go ahead. The uh, one of my favorite ones, like I mentioned, was the um, the season where they went to Russia, okay, to, and just followed Russian cops around, and it was very, very strange. And it might be just because the things were lost in translation. I was right. Yeah, you know, it was X Files or it was cops. Uh, the X-Files Season 7, Episode 12, okay, called X-Cops. Okay. When Mulder and Scully pursue an investigation, they are followed by a camera crew from the TV show Cops. So, you can see why I got confused. Fair enough. It's a very unique style. Yeah. In in the Rush episode, I don't know if the camera crew was the same or different, but there was a weird, a different attitude towards crime there. Like, I'll give you an example. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia. Kind of. <laughs> so we're going to go watch... What are we... Who are we watching? Burke Reicher? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's I suppose great. I was supposed to remind you. Don't forget. January 16th. No, I'm, I'm excited. I've been watching tons of stand-up. Back to Russia. There, there was one episode of the, the season in Russia that, like... It would have never played out like this in America, where a cop goes to the guy's house of, of some sort. I don't know who called. And he gets there. Straight away, dead woman at the doorstep. And show they show it to a reasonable extent. I don't know how much they did in the American cops, but just dead woman. Okay. And and the police officer finds 
the homeowner, the man, the, the husband of the woman who's dead, and he's like, did you kill this woman? And he's like, yes, I killed this woman. And he's just fucking plain... <laughs> and then he starts asking him why he did it. Just plain Jane. The cop doesn't even, like, raise his posture or anything to, like, show that maybe there's a situation to be taken care of here. He just has a casual conversation and tells the guy, okay, you're being arrested. And the guy's like, okay. And then they just goes to jail. It was that plain Wouldn't it be something? nice if every crime was like that? It, it's a very different attitude. Like, Did you kill that hooker? Yes, I did. Maybe you know yourself. you're under arrest. I understand. Yeah. Get in the car. It, it's a heinous crime. Me. It's worse than a lot of stuff that happens in the American cops, obviously. But at the same time, in the American show, you don't get that conversation because it's just some person fleeing the scene of a crime, running, ch- getting chased in a vehicle, whatever it is. It's very high action, very yeah. very high stress. Whereas in the Russian episode, even criminal, heinous criminals were just able to accept the, the crime that they've committed and, and talk about it very calmly to officers who were equally as calm. It's an it's, a, it's obviously a different way of policing over there. Also, this was in the '90s, so this is, is probably a little bit different too. Yes, Bert Kreischer talks about how the mafia owned tons and tons of stuff. Yes, in Russia, and pretty much controlled everything for up until a certain point. Hey, Bert, I emailed your people. Hmm. I asked for half an hour of your time, and the off chance, off chance that this gets to you, all I want is thirty minutes. 30 minutes. We're coming he gets to your paid show. a lot for 30 minutes. Yeah, I know. Just 30 minutes. Call it a press thing. The day of your show. That 30 would, minutes. Yeah, he'd be doing us a huge favor. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I'll buy you a drink. Or okay. seven. Several. He can drink. He'd probably way out drink us. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Not going to turn out well. So, yeah, we'd have to stay in Toronto that night. <laughs> um, Still have a hell of a story about it. Yeah drinking with the machine i wonder because he says he sometimes goes to bars after his shows he's okay if he says he does i'd go i'd have a drink it'd be nice like he tells people in the audience where he's going because i doubt really Mm -hmm. oh that'd be fantastic because he says he says he feels like he owes it to the crowd he doesn't do it every show and Mm. it'd be interesting if he did but we should we should check it out or watch his uh, social media afterwards. Yeah, I go for a drink. Let's stay, I buy him let's a drink. stay in Toronto <laughs> and try that out if if it's worthwhile. The another comedian. Now that I've, I've been watching quite a bit of it, uh, like stand up comedy recently, I, I want to watch Bill Burr. Bill Burr's hilarious. He, it's it's so strange because I went through and watched this compilation of like strange media. Is interviews. blood rushing to your head yet? Mm. Not quite, no. Because you've been on your head for a long time. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. I'm like, I thought my face was going flush or something. I'm like, I haven't had that much to drink yet. Um, Bill Burr was, there was some comp- like compilation of a bunch of videos of just weird interviews he's done with strange media outlets or like he's just on the red carpet at some kind of event and he's being asked questions. And it made me realize he's a very underappreciated comedian. One almost. of the best comedians he's, on stage. He's incredible. Have you ever watched F is for Family? Yeah, great show. Great show. I mean, I liked the first season. The second season lost my interest a little bit quicker, but maybe I just had season three. Apparently, is really good. Yeah. Like back to form. It was the whole thing was about people asking him stupid questions, and he has the most he the most fuck you kind of answers to the the reporters, and I just love it. Like some woman was on 
breakfast, some kind of breakfast television and saying, oh, you're, no, I read here that you are just say the first thing that comes to your head about whatever. And he basically said, yeah, I'm in Grodd, I'm here before all the fucking whores arrive because of some festival thing that's going on. And she's like, like, taking it back, she's like, keep in mind this is G-rated television. And she just like, lost it. She had no idea what to do. <laughs> Could not control this guy. A lot of comedians talk about how much they hate the the morning of their show because a lot of times they get pulled out to do local television or local radio and they're they're night people right so yeah. they never want to get up at 5 40 in the morning to go do an interview but the and the limitations on speech are incredible yeah. you can't swear in the when same you're way. a dirty comedian it's hard to do an interview. why bother really yeah because it's part of the part of the uh the it, dog and pony show, I it's suppose. Strange too, because somebody like Bill Burr, there's no way around it. Like you could take like a George Carlin character, and he he's a dirty comedian, but he could probably pull it off being entirely coherent and like very funny and edgy, and and just still be family friendly. Some of his time. most interesting bits, George Carlin, mm-hmm. didn't have wasn't inappropriate. Like, he used to do oh, yeah. characters. He used to do, like, Especially radio DJs really and stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. So he could easily... I mean, he played the fucking conductor on Thomas the Tank <laughs> Engine. So he knew how to handle himself. Yeah. And then he was also that hippy-dippy car in the Cars movie. So Also, by the way, George Carlin is my favorite comedian of I would all say time. Although it's easier to have a nostalgia about a guy that's dead. So maybe that's... He's definitely... The two comedians that really turned me on to stand-up comedy would be George Carlin. Um, for some reason, very early on, I had a bit of his on my iPod, and the entire bit was about teenage masturbation. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that bit. Yeah. And it's a great bit, it's and it good. turned me on. It didn't turn me on. <laughs> Did it, it turned me on to comedy. Not, not to jerk it off. Not to talking about teenage masturbation. No. I could get in trouble for that. Um no, is it, it? No, it's not some kind of sex offense to say that teens jerk off. They do. They do. It's true. They teach uh, that in the sex ed class. They do. Um, and then John Panette. Hmm. Actually, I don't really know any of his work. Well, he's dead, so you'll have a limited. <laughs> wow. Uh, really funny guy. He was a big guy. He was huge when he started. Like we're talking, in like rotund. Yes. Okay. Like rotund hmm. not not like uh Gabriel many, many comedians are yes though. but he he was mostly family friendly but he got a few good laughs in there and it was all self-deprecating hmm. he talked a lot about buffets it was good you should look him up hmm. it's quite good i'll give him a search yeah the, yeah I, I could definitely see myself enjoying going to more stand-up if I had more of an outgoing, I don't know. I don't maybe more improvisational sort of. I've always mindset, wanted to try it. I'd like to try it. I've because always wanted to. I feel like I'm uninhibited enough. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about. Do you want to try saying. it one night? We could go to an open mic night. Let's go to the what's the the one on St. Paul Street? That's uh, just, that's entertainment. Yeah, right? usually absolute garbage comedians. Showtime. Sorry, Showtime. that's entertainment is a video store. <laughs> you, most comedians that are on, like in there are complete garbage. So I'm I'd sure go we'll to fit an open in. mic night. We'll fit right in. I think we can give it a shot. Hmm. It's a good. It's a good chance to at least test yourself out and see what you can handle. Right. I. 
I don't know how I would handle the writing bit of it too, because I know, like, I, again, I'm not a very improvisational person, so I would definitely need to rely on a, a set. My bits are mostly everything that you've heard. I know I can get laughs. You got lots of good stories. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know I can get laughs in front of people I don't know just from telling them stuff. So I think writing it down would actually hurt me hmm. because I have to be in front of people to tell the story. If I do it in front of a mirror, that's harder. Hmm. But that'd be fun. I've, that's one of the things that I wanted to try. And I've wanted to try it for many years. It's kind of dangerous, too, because I, I've heard this quote a million times, and especially on the Joe Rogan podcast, is the tried and true saying of, like, stop trying to be Hicks or, or something like that. But yeah. it, it basically points towards, like, a sort of... It's this weird thing where you can definitely pinpoint a style of comedy to a specific person in yep. almost every case, even though people might not think it's that specific. Like, But you would catch on the instant if somebody tried to rip off Carlin or somebody. Like, you know somebody's style, and it's this weird ethereal kind of well you even can't quantify it but you can definitely feel what somebody sounds like even like observational comedy you can't be an up-and-coming comedian and go on stage and start saying what's the deal with like no no that's jerry seinfeld yeah even if you don't do what i just did and you just say what's the deal with airline peanuts or whatever that no sorry that's you're trying to be seinfeld that's not going to work mm-hmm. so there's comedians that have reached that far into the subconscious mind where somebody tries it, you'd be like, nah, that's Seinfeld. Get yeah. the fuck off the stage. And that's a very specific delivery style too, but just even, it, it goes so much further than that. Ugh, you, you, do, you do need to somehow invent yourself, which is something I think happens along the way. So you need to be committed to this for a very long time to find a unique style. A good movie for stand-ups to watch, I find at least as far as what people consider funny slash the type of material that you go for is funny people with adam sandler and seth rogan because adam sandler's character is a movie star who finds out he's dying okay and instead of starring in more crappy movies it's very kind of meta towards adam sandler Mm -hmm. um he decides to kind of go back to basics and go through the stand-up route again and he meets a struggling stand-up comedian played by seth rogan and there's lots of comments about what new comics try to joke about to like get laughs and a lot of times it's all like oh i come real quick type stuff trying like really self-deprecating and then adam sandler at one point is like you know do you want to get laid like ever you go up there and all you talk about is coming quick and fart jokes it's never gonna happen (laughs) and then when you hear Adam Sandler's comedy, the way that they shot it is whenever they were on stage, be it in a small comedy club or in theaters, it was always Adam Sandler performing. So the audience was an actual audience, but he was performing under the guise of his character. So you got to actually see really good aged stand-up comedy. And then Seth Rogen obviously was playing a less successful version of himself. So his comedy was funny, but awkward. Hmm. It's just a good movie. It's long, and it doesn't... It's A lot of people don't like it. I like it. <laughs> What's... Well, I mean, who's it published under? Is it an Adam... Oh, it's Adam a Judd Sanders? Apatow movie. Oh. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'd probably give it a watch. I highly recommend it. Hmm. It's kind of an... Yeah. It's a good... 
sounds almost like a weird kind of documentary. Eh. Well, it's not. It doesn't they, talk, touch on anything that's real. No. No. Uh, and it shows, once again, like, since you're watching stand-up now, did you watch Adam Sandler's stand-up special on Netflix? I haven't. There's a new one. Oh, he just recorded it. Like, oh, it okay. just released a month ago. No, I haven't watched it. Watch it. Okay. Because for anybody who's like, ah, his movies suck, that might be true I don't recently. really feel that way. I, f- I don't like some I, of the newer ones. I know what I'm getting into when yeah. I watch an Adam Sandler movie. But seeing his stand-up, yeah, he's really smart. What was the, the Western one that came out like two years ago? The Ridiculous ago? Six. Yeah. Everybody hated it. I didn't mind it that much. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, but I'm hard to... to it, uh, it feels like he's playing a joke on himself, kind of. Yeah. He's just, he's just letting the, the haters hate. <laughs> Um. Well, of course he is because everybody gets mad, and then Netflix is like, "Yeah, we'll sign you on for another four movies because his movies do well on Netflix." Yep. Um. The only movie, the movies that I don't like are the uh, Happy Madison produced movies that don't star Adam Sandler. Name a few because I don't uh, know. Bucky Larson. Haven't seen it. Pardon? I haven't seen it. It's horrible. Yeah. It's absolutely horrible. It is just a one-joke movie. Uh, Nick Sportson plays Bucky Larson, and he's going to be a porn star. That's that's the plot of the movie. And the reason why he can't be a porn star is he has an incredibly small penis. And that's it. That's the joke for 90 minutes. Hmm. And he somehow becomes a porn star... I suppose there is some sort of niche market for that, for but tiny dick porn. But yeah, that's that's not good. Um, a a type of good um, Happy Madison productions that don't have Adam Sandler. Maybe Deuce Bigelow. I don't know if that was Happy Madison. Seems like it. Adam Sandler was in it, so I'm assuming it was. Mm-hmm. But it was a Rob. It's his. He obviously chooses the better ones for him. <laughs> My favorite one of recent. Uh, I like. There's um. There's a movie where he plays a character called Sandy Wexler, who's a movie producer, but he's a or a talent scout or something like that. Hmm. And that one's not bad. It's a Netflix original. So many things I'm not watching. For some reason on Netflix, I can't get past either watching t- uh, like maybe one new TV show every two months or stand-up. Stand-up is easy to consume, and there's a fuck ton on Netflix. Yeah. It, I think it's the easy-to-consume aspect of it, just because if I'm watching a movie, yeah, it's just a once-in-a-while thing. Cause it either, it, the only way I'm watching a movie is if I'm getting to bed at like 7 p.m., yeah. which is not happening. Because there's so many things to do, obviously, in this house. Yes. So. Um, Tom Segura's wife has a stand-up special. And. How much comedy has she done? She's a professional comedian. She's But she's got, like, a couple. Yes. A couple she, she, I would argue, would be as famous as Tom Segura if she hadn't decided to pull back slightly when they started having kids. Okay. And, then she, and then she makes note of that in the special. She's like, oh, it's so great to hear you fucking playing in New York. Right? <laughs> Which I guess they make it work. But I'm sure a lot of comedians, a lot of people in the same profession 
probably wouldn't necessarily work out unless they were like really destined to be with each other hmm. like if you were dating like if you were just a random person and you started dating Ali Wong or some up and coming comedian who all of a sudden made it big and here you are still playing uh, Showtime in St. Catharines you would feel a little bit left out I'm sure yeah, a little it's bit. an entirely different crowd I wonder if she'd let you open for her. <laughs> right. It'd be horrible. You'd be emasculated every then, night. <laughs> then it feels... Yeah, that would feel, that, that's like being... I'll put it this way. I went to see an Ozzy Osbourne concert in last summer. And there was a band that was um, opening. That for, was on Justin's birthday. That was in September. Yeah. That wasn't the summer still, though, wasn't it? Ah, but yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, for context, there was there was a band that was opening. I won't even bother naming them. I, I, I fuck it. Do you remember they're, the name? They're like Stone Sour or something. Okay, but anyways, they had like one hit song in like 2005, and Ozzy's like I guess apparently been supportive of them, or so they say. Like he's been behind them, supportive enough for the fact that they opened for him. Yeah, but the point is, if you're if it's if your only big hit was in 2005, and nobody gives a fuck about you since then. And you've been opening for Ozzy like year after year after year after year. That must be depressing. Just like, when am I going to be the main line, the headline show? Yeah. That being said, I'm sure they're making okay money. They're making okay money. So and fine. I would say that that's a way better gig than playing in front of a crowd of 40. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just not humble enough to say that's fine as a pinnacle of a career oh it's not i i don't think it is either like and they probably won't ever make it no offense no if any i mean i mean they have because they've they've had a major hit that gets tons of radio and they're playing an opening for ozzy osbourne who's a rock like okay if we invited them to a party yeah they are the most interesting people there oh absolutely so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but just to be the opener over and over and over again for somebody who's maybe un- unimaginable, maybe bigger. it's pure creativity because they know that nobody's there to see them. Yeah. Nobody's like, we're gonna go see what's her name, Stone Sour. We're gonna go see Stone Sour, and then maybe we'll wait and watch Ozzy Osbourne play. Yeah. So once chance. they know that nobody's there to watch them, they'd be like, well, fuck it, let's just give it our all. Their set was like, they played quite a few. I think they played probably five, six, seven songs, something like that. They waited to play the one hit they had in 2005 to, like, the end. It was maybe, like, the second last song. And at that point, I was like, oh, I know who this band is. And a wave in front of the crowd was just like, oh, it's them. Yeah, pretty much. Did you appreciate it more after you knew it was them? Slightly. I'm like, this is a band that actually kind of matters. <laughs> but at the same time, eh. Were no. they good? Talent-wise, I'm sure they they're all pretty good at their instruments and singing, but it's just it doesn't have that grab that, for instance, their stuff was more metal than it was rock. I would say, I don't listen to a lot of metal. I listen to more rock music and and Aussies. You could argue maybe closer to metal, but ugh, no, nothing that they played other than their one hit song is anything I would even consider putting on a playlist of my own. I don't. I don't. It, it doesn't have that factor that makes you remember them. I don't think. So you would say they're derivative? <laughs> sure. That's what a lot of musicians get called. But whatever they're deriving their music from, I wouldn't listen to anyways. So it's not that useful in their case. 
Uh, Not bad being derivative as long as the thing you're deriving from is good. What concerts have I... See, that's that's the issue. I've been to a lot of concerts that don't involve Jimmy Buffett. You haven't or you have? I haven't. Okay. Um, and nobody opened for Stomp and Tom. <laughs> Doesn't really need an opening, I no. don't think. No. He just... I, I think older musicians... And I mean older musicians. I wonder if Bob Dylan had openers. Because I feel like Stompin' Tom for years probably didn't. No. Bob Dylan probably didn't because at one point I'd imagine the shows were smaller for him. And then he got big very quickly. And then I don't think it would be... Who opens for Bob Dylan? I don't know. Who could be a good opener for Bob Dylan? Well, Joan Baez at one point. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they've at least performed together. So but I don't know if she would have opened. Maybe Gordon Lightfoot, like a folk musician. I love Gordon Lightfoot. Hmm. But at the same time, I'd probably really rather go to a Gordon Lightfoot concert than Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's such a weird character. Such an influential character in music history. But at the same point, like point, he has hundreds of songs and almost all of them are incredibly bland. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on Bob Dylan. But again, he has dozens of songs that are probably some of the most influential in any folk and, and even a rock music sense because lots of people did covers of his stuff and, and branched off from where he left off yeah. and he also kind of had that motorcycle accident and disappeared for like decades yes yeah and then had a bunch of basement tapes leak and they were meh Johnny Cash is a oh fantastic yeah yeah I've been trying to broaden my music sense not not More in country stuff because of Melissa? No, I I liked country before. Okay. It's just I never expanded upon, say, Alan Jackson or stuff like that. Like I Melissa doesn't like him. I've never been a big fan of Keith Urban. No. But I like Alan Jackson. And I think there's an authenticity to him. I don't mind listening to Dolly Parton. I've spent a little bit of time listening to um uh, Willie Nelson. Okay, yeah, and they're authentic. Yep, like you listen, and it's like they're, they're there's like Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson. Uh, of the people that I listened to recently, I will throw in Gordon Lightfoot, Dan Fogelberg. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll just use them as examples. They are master storytellers. In every sense of the definition. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's New Year's. Dan Fogelberg's Another Old Lang Sign. It plays at Christmas time. It's a beautiful song. He sings it very well. It's a true story. And the entire song is about him as Dan Fogelberg going back to his hometown and stepping outside to get some supplies at a corner store before they close at Christmas Eve. And as he's in the corner corner store, he bumps into an ex-girlfriend or ex-lover. And she doesn't recognize him at first, and then she finally does, and they hug, and she spills their groceries and stuff like that. And then they proceed to swap stories, and because there's no bar open on Christmas Eve, they end up buying a six-pack at the liquor store, and they're they drink it in her car and they reminisce about, you know, the high school years and whatnot. And it's a very, hmm. it, it's a song about growing up kind of and the change and 
obviously as a performer she's like well you know i've seen you in the record store so you must be doing well and then he throws out well the audience is heavenly but the traveling is hell so it's just a very good song they realized that there obviously was a reason they weren't together because eventually the conversation just naturally stops she kisses him on the cheek and you know he walks away and they're at the end the song talks about just for a moment it was like i was back in high school and felt that old familiar pain Hmm. and as i went to wake to make my way back home the snow turned into rain like it's a very melancholy song but it's a very good song Hmm. it's one of my favorites of his Uh, the storytelling i'm mixing up my words (laughs) storytelling aspects of songs tend to be my what drives me most to most artists whether it is country music rap rock whatever that's why like i've recommended to you before and you even gave me credit on this he's known for margaritaville but if you go to his lesser known ones he has a lot of deep ones jimmy buffett's pretty good for that i mean yeah i I listened to quite a few of them on the car ride to florida earlier in the year sorry it's okay (laughs) it's not bad i think i'd have to go through and i'd pick out a few favorites because i don't like all of Jimmy Buffett's stuff, obviously. I'm not even a fan of all of his stuff yeah. either. There's some of the stuff that just is too... And I get it. He's released a ton of albums, so at some point he's like, let's try something different. Let's put out an African album. Hmm. Uh, okay. It It's almost a bit of a litmus test if you can be an artist and have a best-of record eventually, and every song on that, if it's a, like a 15-track list, is is good, I would say. And Gordon Lightfoot, I think, has that. I have his Greatest Hits album. And I'd say out of, like, the 15, 16 songs that are on there, there's only one that I don't like. Which one? Something, I think, Pussy Willow Cattails. Okay. What's know. your favorite? That's a really tough one for a Gordon Lightfoot song. I don't... Hmm. I don't really have a favorite. See, the problem with discussing artists like that is... You sometimes get put into a category of, oh, you're just in it for the one song, but... Not I for will. him. Not for him. No, not for pretty much anything I listen to. But if I had to pick my favorite one of his, just again from the storytelling aspect... Probably the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. But that... 100%. Yeah. That is, that's probably one of the most linear storylines he has. It's a very... I understand that. But the it's, imagery he talks about yeah. in the song, it's just wonderful (laughs) well obviously grim but at the same time it's a very linear story because it's nothing about him or any of his own experiences it's a very detached sort of story but it's good it's very i I listen first time i listened to it my seventh grade teacher mr linklater in grade school decided to play it for some reason i don't know what if it was for an english component or some kind of poetic thing but he played it because i guess he liked Gordon Lightfoot. but yeah I, I since that day have really liked that song. He is also an artist that's able to admit when he was wrong because he's changed the song over the years as new information has come out. Oh, some when, when, it's not factual, yeah. What well, is? But certain things like when the song became big, apparently people were like the hall that they held the funeral in isn't musty, so he changed it. Like really small things. <laughs> that's a strange aesthetic difference. I don't know kind of helps the story obviously if it is because just you have something to recognize the feeling if you said that it didn't smell like much then 
What's the audience supposed to wonder about? That's true. But, no, that's that's a good song. And if I could... If I had the opportunity to do so, and this kind of ties into both Gordon Lightfoot and uh, Jimmy Buffett, in a way, in the sense that I, I would call Jimmy singing storytelling Gordon Lightfoot-esque in some cases in some songs but and he he loves he's been in Toronto to see Gordon Lightfoot plenty of times I grew up on the water of Lake Erie mm-hmm. and I grew up knowing that there's so many shipwrecks in Lake Erie my mm, dad has this not much to see of them because no. he brought it away yes but but they're but there my dad has this plaque of all the famous shipwrecks mm-hmm that would be fun do you want to go scuba dive and look at them that'd be fun i have access to equipment i would need to appropriately learn how to use the equipment the the, uh the course for that is actually it's like a three-day course a lot of places have their own like swimming pool built in or they go to like some kind of rec center with a pool and you you practice with the equipment it's not really hard for anybody i can't imagine it's hard i'd imagine i mean when i pay had it paid for it probably was half the price of what it is now i'd imagine it's probably a good thousand dollars to take a course it's like pricey that. it is it is and but the equipment is pricier really that's what's the the hard barrier to entry so a lot of people might have to rent their equipment at first which isn't a problem if you're going on vacation somewhere where you're going to like a scuba shop before you go out on a boat for some kind of snorkeling tour or whatever but but if you wanted to dive lakes like freshwater lakes that we have which after you do a couple of them, you're kind of over it, to be honest. The problem with it's, it's Lake Erie and scuba diving is it is deep. It's a lot deeper than a lot of people realize. Yeah, you wouldn't. You're for recreational diving. You're not really going to touch anything over a hundred feet, and even no. then, it's it's pushing. Limits. And it's also murky as fuck. <laughs> but eh, murky dives are interesting too because there are certain times that you can pick when it's going to be less visibility is less of an issue. And the other thing that bothers me is my fear i think we've talked about this if i can walk into water i'm good i hate jumping into it if i can't see the ground i hate jumping into it and going it's a weird we've never been in a situation together i don't think where you've had to jump into water no no because i mean pot hawk can see the ground that's no problem even if it's 10 feet right 10 feet i'm not going to touch the bottom but i can see the ground scuba diving is interesting Tila's lake at her cottage can never see the ground once you're on the lake yeah it, it's interesting it freaks me the fuck out <laughs> probably the way that you would do it for most dives because i don't have access to access to a boat is you would go from the shore and you'd swim out a bit to wherever you want to be and then once you get to where you want to be you dive down so you'd, likely at any point in the stage you're going to be able to look down and see the floor and then you're going to be able to swim down and you might get deeper gradually but it's not going to get deep very quickly in lake Erie, i don't think I don't know. It, it probably wouldn't be that bad. And even the murkiness of most dives isn't so much of an issue because you have a little bit of time to explore. Like, for instance... Oh, I know. It's just I, you don't know what's out there. Yeah. I've done a dive in the French River, which the visibility of that was, like, from here to the wall. Like, you couldn't see much. But by the... You know, you're going through, like, there's a bunch of sunken logs because they used to do logging out there and all that. So there's always interesting things right in front of you that you can sort of look at and, yeah. and enjoy. Get Nancy just thinking about it. I don't know what it is because... Yes, 
I'm not a big fan of amphibians and stuff like that. Yeah. And I like to think that there's certain things that I would really like to do. Like, I'm excited to go to... Oh, speaking of which, the Blue Ghost Tunnel thing. Yeah. Yeah. The person we're going to do the interview with, my neighbor, has been there countless times. And he's such an interesting friggin' dude. So, I guess to local lore fill in everybody else that's not from around here... There's a tunnel called the Blue Ghost Tunnel. It was, I think, a railway tunnel at some point in time. At some point. Long, long time ago. Hundreds probably. of people have died in this tunnel. Mm. There was there During was, the construction, yes. it's confirmed. Yes. The, there was one I think the number's railway, 127. There was one railway accident, apparently, in it. Yes. Um, but basically, yeah, it was just used for shipping, probably mostly freight, yep. I would imagine, under the like Welland Canal. And other than that, it yeah, they closed it off at some point. I think the access to it is on General Motors property. They have yep. some kind of plant out there. It's technically trespassing, but dozens of people do it probably every week during the summertime. People go check out this old artifact. And it's haunted. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I have been there. I have taken pictures around there. It's strange. I don't. Maybe I'm not accustomed to it enough because it does feel a little bit weird having a bunch of security cameras and stuff around and security patrols but at the same time they kind of don't do anything about people i don't know the feels wrong i had a new year's drink with my neighbor and he's a painter very good painter but he paints from from life from photographs he'll take the photo and then he'll paint the photo okay she's like oh you need to see this and just because i've been talking to you about it i went to screaming tunnel earlier in the week it was very weird to be like hey look at this and he lays out the blue ghost tunnel like the mention, the moment you mentioned the Screaming Tunnel, I thought perhaps you were talking about the Blue Ghost Tunnel, just because it is the most iconic one. When I, because a friend of mine told me to go to uh, Screaming Tunnel, so I did, and it was neat. And I have something to show you, but I'll show you in a few days. Okay, it's 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 different. I don't know if it's good. Or, I I can't tell if it's good or bad. But anyways, fair enough. Um. I went to Screaming Tunnel, and it was neat. And then when I got home, I told my friend I went to Screaming Tunnel. And he said, well, what'd you think? Like, it was daytime. Like, I went during the day. But I feel like... It doesn't look terribly... It's not nice, and it was a river. I don't know if it's always a river. I did no research. No. But I got there, I'm like, shit, I can't walk in the tunnel because it's flowing with water. So I walked on the sides, and it was good. Break a pair of rubber boots, I guess. I should have. But I didn't. And then even at night, it probably wouldn't be that haunted because there's a house right beside it now, which I'm sure they try to lower the lore because it probably, I don't know, yeah. living in something, living near something that's quote unquote haunted probably doesn't do a lot for a no. small percentage of your resale value. I had a, a small thought while you're talking about something like, you know, living near something that's haunted. What if we wanted to have a haunted atmosphere to a podcast and... Do you want to shoot a podcast in Blue Ghost Tunnel? No, actually. <laughs> Could we film in a graveyard? Because that's private property, although people are allowed to go there to visit. Is it disrespectful? I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily care about that element. I just want to know if I, legally I could do it. Because it'd be interesting. Like, right around Halloween. Or I have a semi-answer for you. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, we had to do a narrative photo story. So it was right at the tail end of learning photography, mm -hmm. right? 
and we had to tell a story. We were in partners, or we were in groups of two, so each story involved the other person. So my story involves somebody uh, saying goodbye to a loved one. So I went to the to the cemetery in Welland, and based on what I was told by the teacher, I had to contact them and ask them if I could just pick a pick a grave, not show the name, not show anything distinguishable. You're not allowed to do that. I asked, and I could. Okay. But I had to ask them. Okay. And I think their main concern is showing. I mean. You wouldn't be able to film a podcast on Elvis Presley's grave. No, which is necessarily th- what I'm attempting. Oh, to I know. Do. I think the main thing is names because you don't. It's 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 public, but it's also private. An obituary is a public record that already shows pretty much the same information plus a whole lot more. But then wouldn't uh, wouldn't a um, when we were pitching documentaries in college uh i got to shoot the geocaching documentary that i've mentioned before awesome documentary thank you for including me mike um i'm talking to mike not my mike i'm not that drunk (laughs) (laughs) um but some of the other documentaries that were pitched there was a pitch to go to the suicide forest in japan which we know now is a an edgy but not good thing to do they got they had everything done. I think I mentioned this before. Like, they had permission from the forest. They had the tickets purchased. They had everything done. They were going to go shoot it. And the forest was like, yeah, you can't do it. Everything was purchased. So they, they went from having the most interesting documentary to just doing a travel channel documentary about the Japanese culture. Uh. I feel bad because they made do with what they had. But it wasn't what it was originally intended they got an experience of a lifetime Mm -hmm. but it wasn't what was originally intended but one of the pitches um by a very good friend of mine was to go visit some of the most haunted places in the states and it's not an original pitch but none of these documentaries really were i feel like the geocaching documentary was original only in the sense that at the time, if you Google geocaching documentary, the only thing that really came up was Bill Clinton talking about the the um, handiness and usefulness of everybody being allowed to use GPS, personal GPS because it was open to the public. Yes, at that point and that's what made geocaching big, mm-hmm. and that's actually how the documentary started was Bill Clinton saying that. But there wasn't anything super super big about it was a very underground thing i'd say until most recent but it still times. kind of is not everybody knows about it only because it's faded more into obscurity like it reached some kind of peak when you had like apps that would still let you has do an it. app it, no they still have apps but i'm saying like it sort of reached its peak once there was an app for people to do it and then a lot of people seem to have gotten bored of it at this point in time I, i'm sure there's still people that do it but oh, there is but it's quite a big community but it's it's one of those Go geocaching. That'd be. A I'd fun love activity. to. Let's do it. it. It's it's an activity you can pair with lots of other stuff. Like you're going out to walk with your dog, you can go geocache. Yeah. If you're going out on a photographic tour of something, you can go geocache. I guarantee there's a geocache at the Blue Ghost Tunnel. Yeah. If I went geocaching well, and I'd probably find heroin needles. So. Probably. Yeah. Uh, that that was also clean. the 
best marketing campaign for the geocaching documentary just going to the geocaches that had big enough army cases and leaving copies of the documentary in the canister business cards in them we could do that dickheads we probably get a lot of prank phone calls yeah but it'd be fun it's a fun thing to do they are sometimes hard to find I like that though. Even with the app, I, the most difficult to find geocache I've ever found, I wasn't geocaching. I w- it was in. I probably told the story before on the podcast, but I w- I had t- taken a canoe across the French River to a site where there was no houses, no cottages. It was just forest. Scaled like a one hundred and twenty foot cliff face, like a huge cliff face. Walked all the way up. Got to the top, was throwing rocks off with my brothers and and having a beer or whatever, and and I decided to look underneath a crevice in a rock, and it was in a really hard to find place, and I saw a peanut butter jar, and the, <laughs> something glinted in my mind. I was just like, okay, maybe this is something, and I grabbed it, and it was a geocache. I don't know how I found it, but I sure did. Do you want something to mix with that whiskey? I got my Coke. You got Coke okay. or cola. And my tall, cold cast cactus. It looks more like Pepsi with a, the color design. I love uh, Freshco because mm-hmm. they're actually. I'll mention this. This is boring, but Freshco is amazing with their no-name stuff because unlike other brands, they do not hide what they ah what they're ripping off. This is Pepsi. Is it a Pepsi product? No, but the amazing thing is, is they also have colas that say that say cola. That look like Coke. So they have two different types of cola. Cola, cola, cola. So it depends if you're a Pepsi or Coke guy, but both, you have no money. <laughs> Either way, I don't know. Is it cheaper than the other stuff? Yes. Okay. And you're mixing it, like, it's not... Hmm. I, I'm okay with it. I it like... What does it taste more like, Coca-Cola or Pepsi? It's Pepsi. It's, it's 100% Pepsi. Pepsi. Okay. Interesting. Um... I went to Canadian Tire the other day. That isn't a thing Aww. that I would necessarily. There's a pill for that. Expect you to say. <laughs> you went to Canadian Tire for what? For tools? For guns? For for, for guns? Boating accessories? For boating ex- guns and boating accessories? No, not guns and boat or boating accessories. One day boating accessories. I want a houseboat. I realize that's like the gayest boat to own. Yes. Maybe well, a supercharged houseboat. Yeah. It's like a cottage on the water. It's cool as a concept, but I don't. I wouldn't. It's too much upkeep. That's fair. Maybe I'll just get a regular boat. Why did you go to Canadian Tire? I'm avoiding the question because I can't quite remember. Oh no! (laughs) Did you you buy anything? Do you know that much? I feel like I was. Oh, now I remember. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) Melissa and I decided because her tree is her Christmas tree isn't very good. And she and I are going to, or are in the conversations to moving in with one another. Congratulations to me. Next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That having a Boxing Day Christmas tree isn't a bad idea because they're all on sale. Mm -hmm. The value of things depreciates a lot at Christmas time. How much is a Boxing Day Christmas tree? Uh, Less than 50 bucks for a seven foot tall fake tree. And regular, how- regular. This one was regular one sixty nine. That's a pretty good, good sale. And then we saw Christmas trees that we didn't buy, 
that were regular five ninety nine on for one ninety nine. You strike me more more of a traditionalist. Like if you could have a real tree, I want a real tree. Seems like just not in an apartment. It's hard to get up. Yeah. Well, once I get a house, not terrible. Yes, real tree all the way. Hmm. Especially with kids. Yeah. Real tree, because there's something wonderful about taking the kids out to the tree farm, cutting down Murdering your tree, a tree, getting them hot, dragging chocolate. its corpse back to your truck. And... Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it then, is. And then, but then also also telling them about how you're celebrating, promoting a Christian religious tradition with a pagan ritual. Yes. Yeah. But you're promoting at least local businesses and whatnot, and if it's the proper business, they're at least planting replacement trees they have to for business purposes yeah so. it'd be a bad business model <laughs> if they didn't we're not growing anymore how long are you going to be in business maybe a year. maybe three years <laughs> but we bought a christmas tree and i was in canadian tire and there i have a sidestep after this just so you know okay they're no name products i'm gonna go back and read them okay because their no name product i think is named steve I can't remember what the name is. Steve the Tree? No. They're no-name brand. Like, you know how this is compliments? No way. Great value. Canadian Tire. But he's a character. Okay. And if you... uh, I'm butchering exactly what it is, but it's like if you buy dish soap, it'd be like Steve gets soapy. Like really? that's how it's described. Okay, I I go to Canadian Tire. His like name once. isn't Steve. I know it's not. I go there like once every week, but it's I've never seen any of their branding. At like least that. in St. Catharines, I'm gonna Google it. Like brands that are synonymous with Canadian Tire, they sell a lot of Mastercraft stuff and Canadian Tire no name brand. I I'm curious. So it's a definitely it's a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have an interesting sidestep about Christmas trees when you're done. Hmm. Nothing comes up immediately. Uh, private label brands list. You tell your story. I'm going to listen. I'm Maybe gonna it's a new thing. Okay, anyways, my boss for the, the framing company that I work at sort of pitched this interesting idea at me, and I don't know where he necessarily got it I, I can't I can't quite remember I think he told me but anyways he said having a like a Christmas tree farm is actually a very sensible business model and and you need a specific size lot he described how big how many acres you needed and he described how many trees you typically would need to have plant and have in succession so you could keep it growing like year after year after year and it's this weird thing where the upkeep actually it's it's not that expensive to do and you have all these trees that you can sell every single year and you would pay like you would hire an employee to sell the trees during the christmas season and it was this extremely efficient business model where you could i don't know what scale how big of a scale you could go up to but for like just an average person with maybe like 10 acres of land you could easily do this and it was it was an interesting concept to me it's true though especially because if you do if you are the type of person that has a big plot of land you could passively make money just by planting the trees i would assume on a yearly basis i think they take seven to eight years to grow. okay so passively after almost a decade yeah but you would start with saplings or whatever yeah yeah it's 
it, it takes obviously like any business a little bit of uh, initial cost to get out of the gate and, and it takes a little bit of time to, to build up a supply of these trees but it it sounded like an interesting side job basically something you could do in your spare time that would be quite efficient for the reward you get from doing it and that kind of relies on the return to the, the traditional use of a real tree in your household instead of using the fake ones that you can buy at Canadian Tire or wherever else. I'm not lying to you, but I can't find it. They don't. Okay. I mean, we'll I'm go ass- to, let's go to Canadian Tire and we'll see sure. ourselves. I'm assuming that they probably don't advertise it that much on their website just because they probably don't. It's a, it's a no-name brand. I will make it no secret. I absolutely hate fake trees. I grew up with one every single year. Some of them get really realistic nowadays, though. That, that's fine. I don't care. I don't want it. I grew up with real trees. Yeah. So having a fake one, I get it. My apartment, I have my little palm tree. That's more for the fact that I'm it's, not it's dragging kind of up a palm. Or I'm not dragging up a real tree three no. flights of stairs. No. And the palm tree, it's even better this year. Because where's the palm tree? It was on my island. <laughs> pretty funny, actually. So, I... I like real trees. Speaking of which, the table that we're at currently will be an island, but that's just part of the renovation stuff. Uh, well, right now we're on a deserted island. Yes. It is a fold-out table that is sitting on top of cabinets that will eventually be painted to match the rest of the cabinets that will be framed into a really, really heavy island that won't move. That's good. Yeah. Um, no, I, I... There's something about real trees that are fun. I have... The smell. Yeah, that that's like a critical and the upkeep component. Really isn't that bad. You no. vacuum every once in a while, and you put some ginger ale in the in the bucket yeah. below. Uh, you can even do a lot of people are like, oh well, you vacuum the tree, you'll hit the branches and just more. Um, you keep vacuuming, and then you'll all you the stuff hit off. Because you know you're putting presents underneath. What you do is you just put a blanket. Well, you put a blanket, but then you also give it a little bit more of a of a trunk at the bottom so that way when you're vacuuming you actually don't hit the bottom of the tree you can yeah. just vacuum it up easier to do if you cut your own tree yeah uh or don't put a don't put a uh thing underneath and if you are the type of people that santa delivers all the presents underneath your tree just get a roomba it'll go around the tree it'll clean up the the needles that's a good point I I know that when I have children, that Santa will be delivering at our house, but only the stockings. I grew up with Santa only delivering gifts in the stockings, and then one, maybe two presents underneath the tree. Huh. That's interesting. It's a little bit more of a realistic standard to set forth to kids, where it's not like Santa delivered great, like a new toy card well that's, that's just it i saw a post it. on facebook and now that we're all connected i guess it is important but it didn't matter back then either because when you go back when the kids go back on january 7th the young kids we'll say six years they'll old compare what they've got they'll compare what they got yeah. and the rich kids santa brought me an ipad Fuck. what i wish i got an ipad exactly yeah i got i got some a box of chocolates exactly it's a great gift I love boxes of chocolates. Mm-hmm. Or socks. So- socks are amazing. Underwear. Mm-hmm. But that's why um, kind of stocking stuffers is a smart thing. And then the people that I care about a lot, like my 
brothers and sisters and then eventually you know once we do have children you and tila because i'm assuming that our children are going to know each other it'd be really weird i would hope so it'd be <laughs> strange if we still stayed in contact but they didn't i'm gonna go see uncle eric who's he don't worry about it don't worry about it ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, auntie tila she was on the floor why don't don't worry about it <laughs> um so, like, we'll talk to you. We'll figure it out. So that way when they're... Because Melissa, uh, she never listens to these. So it's it's good. She might when they become just audio. But I was 100% surprised when she's like, we can just do New Year's Eve at my house. Because I never in a million years expected her to host anything. No. Because she gets that, socially anxious. That surprised me. So I, when she... I didn't even know her place was a place that... I think she lives with what? Gray? She has... Mm-hmm. she lives with some her mother's family. house okay her grandparents live with her mother because they're not and apparently smoke profusely yes okay so she's done a lot to make her apartment which is a full basement apartment okay so it is a good space yes it's a great space hmm. to be completely yeah. good i didn't realize she had much of her own space oh she does it's That's her good. whole space hmm. um so when she did it i'm like i'm got a you guys agreed kind of right away. I'm like, I'm going to make sure we see this through. And she did. We cleaned up a little bit yesterday and things are good. And I told her today when I woke up, I just want to say that I'm really proud. I know it sounds stupid, but you have to, you have to appreciate things that are positive and change. And I said, I'm proud of you for doing it. She's like, well, I'm surprised I did it too. But at the end of the day, it's Tila and Eric, and they're like family. Wow. I feel special. <laughs> I'm going to have to thank her. And she's excited to drink with you. So um, I had a timer set because I don't want to take too long. She's like, I have no problem with you doing the podcast, but don't make it as long as it was on St. Patrick's Day. Fair enough. I have one little thing I'd like to add. We, we, have st- we still have time. Okay. That has to make it in. I got recognized in public from the podcast. It's weird, isn't it? Oh my god, it's so weird. <laughs> the 411 podcast helps because it got quite a bit of publicity. And I haven't been recognized at all. Although I've, I don't know, when I go out, it's weird because I'm watching people now. Mm. When I get gas at that gas station, I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're wary of it. And I wonder, because... See, mine's more personal because it was a lady that I had already seen every day of the, you know, every single day of the week when I'm at work. Because she works at the local Tim Hortons, I, she runs the. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think she runs the cash exactly, but she gets the food, makes preparations, and all that. And I, she's talked to me many times because, and she's definitely the most socially outgoing person there. Because I'll mobile mobile order stuff, and she'll like make mention that I'm doing that, and she's like, I guess is excited about mobile ordering or something. But anyways, she. Yeah, she recognized me from the 411 podcast. And it was just the strangest thing ever because this person, this stranger that I've been meeting for like, you know, That's day after day, talking about. got really excited. And I was like, holy fuck, you saw that thing. And I was like, okay, now I have to deal with the fact that people I encounter on a daily basis might know me already. Yeah. Or know more about me than I know about I them. Think of the things we've talked about. <laughs> it's fine. They're not going to watch all of it, anyways, but it's okay. Um, she's, she may mention that I not name her, so that's fine. I'm that's not going to do that. But yeah, hello if you're watching. I, yeah. I, I doubt you are because really the 401 podcast was a lot better than this one. But 
Thank this you. One's, this I one's felt interesting. It was very strange. Uh, one of cool. the things we need to talk about is this is episode 45. Mm-hmm. So I think we can brainstorm on here, I suppose. Sure. Get, let's, let's get meta. We go till episode 52. So that way... That's a year? That way it's a year. Okay. And then we retool it a little bit. We try to find a way where we can either do it live... So that way there's not as much edit. I realize the sound stuff doesn't take very oh God, long. My editing job is easy. Unless we have a guest and there's a set yes. of microphones. And it's like and even at then, minimum half an hour, but probably an hour. Um, this The sound is easy, but the video takes time. Yeah, I'd imagine. Although, God bless Final Cut. The way I've been editing the past few ones is I've been editing. You're back to Final Cut? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> God, no, I... I if you relapse a final cut, I don't know. Final cut X. I have to know why Premiere wasn't suitable for you. No. Yeah. No. I'm still doing the multicam with Premiere, which is 100% the best way to go for any multicam thing. Because when I say take camera one, hi, take camera two and three, it's perfect. Be awkward if you didn't edit that. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Listen to me. I didn't realize that you can edit in in multicam sped up. So when you're yeah. when you're editing, you hit L, it speeds it up. I don't know if it's twice the speed or one and a half times the speed, but that's how I've been editing. So I've actually been able to edit quicker. I can't do I can't hit L twice because once the audio goes, I have issues because I can't cut according to who's talking. That's fair. But that so is, Adobe get on having audio at higher speeds. Yeah, even if it's just bits and pieces. A max of two times seems pretty reasonable because that's about as fast as you probably would want to. I feel like the first L is two times okay. though. Well, that's not bad then. I know I'm able to get through a lot more, but I, I just got thinking if we were somehow able to do it where live. Here's the thing: Would we be more depressed if we saw our live views and saw that maybe like we had one? viewer the whole time i don't look you don't look i look at the ones we can that, interact with the audience yes. at that point which i look at incredible. the ones that i know are going to do well i was very intrigued as to how niagara 411 was nick if you're watching happy new year hi yeah. we'll be in touch sounds good but live at least once it's done it's done it's true if less work is put into it and this sounds bad but if you're able to do it more efficiently, then the fact that you only often. get 100 viewers per episode, which give or take is about the average-ish, mm -hmm. the 10,000 views that Nick got definitely boosts that up. It was nice. It was. Um, it, then it makes it a little bit better. Now, the problem is, is switching camera to camera. Because we don't have an operator, and because I don't want to subject somebody to listening to our podcast while they switch for us, there's got to be automatic, uh, like automatic I, software out there. Every time I've been editing, for like, the, it, it switches based on voice. Voice based on voice. That has to be a thing. But but here's the thing. Let's just look at this critically. The way that you would have to do that is you need it to be dependent on the mics because you have a mic and I have a mic. So it needs to have something to do with the soundboard, either whether it's between the mic and the soundboard or it's after the soundboard, but somewhere in that line, and that needs to go to a video product of some kind, so that sounds like a, a camera interface, and it just sounds way too complicated to actually exist in a form that we could use, Okay, at so least then, with DSLR. So then let's simplify it. Okay. 
what if I want to implement, because we could do a lot more if it wasn't your your uh, podcast space has a ways to go, obviously. Well, okay. To be fair, this is supposed to be a living room back there, not a <laughs> podcast space, but eventually... Tila advertises a podcast space. Maybe we'll have a set back there, but yes. Okay. So hear me out. Sure. Green screen it. Why? Why not? It'll get rid of my background and we can do it however we wish. We don't need a TV in the background if we're showing a clip. Because you can just show anything in the there, background. Right? Yep. Okay. Green screen it. That way, if Justin walks in and out, you don't see him, even though I like his cameos or whatever. If you don't do the green screen, if we're doing it live, could you imagine if we timed it right how well the live one with Nick might have done? Do you think that anybody watching that really cared that we had three different camera angles? No. So what but, if we just but, used one? For the live ones. Maybe not everyone. Maybe the ones we are just fucking around. We don't do live. But I want to try to get more guests. It's hard. I don't care what people think. I do. But I don't. I'm talking to you as friends. I'm talking to you as whoever. Hi, Nancy. Happy New Year. I don't... She gave up on our podcast, Did by she? The way. Yeah. Why? Ah, she lost interest. She might come back. Oh, well, you should watch. I realize I'm now not talking to anybody, but you should watch the Niagara four one 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 one. The Niagara four one one one. So we could do it live. There's lots of different things, but we just need to get a lineup of guests. Yep. But it's very shallow in the sense that we we need to find guests that are interesting, but are bigger than us, most likely. <laughs> That's a, that's a timer. Okay. That's a timer just so we didn't go crazy. Okay. Um, we can finish our drinks, say goodbye. <laughs> um, are we going to get an Uber or are we going to walk? We'll figure that out. Okay. Um, it, it, we got lucky with Nick, and I think that we will work with him in the future in some capacity. If Okay. Who do you know? That's as big as Nick for social media representation. Who should we out like have outreach to, really? I know a few people. But I have to I have to talk to them because there's interesting people. Like I enjoyed I just finished Luke's podcast last night. He's an interesting person. Yeah. He's a good podcast. And he has story he as i said he's a time machine you don't get to hear about blockbuster anymore because nobody fucking works at blockbuster anymore i ranted about a lot of stuff on that last podcast right and it's an interesting one it's not one that'll necessarily sell no offense luke you're a great friend but you're now a part of history because you come up after nick niagara 411 where did andrew's one fit in it was before well andrew's okay you come after andrew yeah but okay anyway pretty sure that one his was christmas yep christmas eve with a story it did okay as about well as i could as andrew is fantastic so andrew was and he should come guests. back because he still has more stories we should have multi-guests on that's could, that's the one we thing we to, haven't we done need yet we need to work on this we'll figure first. it out okay um but you have to approach them in such a way because i'd love to have brian caparici on here hi yes. brian have we contacted him yet no okay because tonight we're doing that contacting him on a new year's sure fuck it okay but the thing about that is is how do you approach it in a way that's not thinly veiled saying hey we would like to benefit off of you 
No, it's fine. Because, we, look, it's, it's, it's as simple as this, because... I have a theory. We would just say, we've mentioned you several times on our podcast. We we're fans. You it's never been negative. We're fans, right? Are you interested in sitting down, drinking your beverage of choice, if that's what you want to do? We or whatever. do it at a studio. Sure. Do it anywhere you want, our studio or yours. Yeah. Just give it a shot. Okay. Because I was thinking, maybe there is an alternative, because Brian Caparici... If he wanted to tell somebody, let's say, let's theorize, hmm. that he wanted, he had the same thing happen with Easy Home. Not that it would. Let's say it did. Not for him, though. Well, yes, I understand that. <laughs> but if it did, he already has the capabilities a platform. to going online and saying, Easy Home, fuck you. And I say that from Nick as well, I think. I don't know. I drove past an Easy Home the other day. Did you burn it to the ground? No, I considered driving through it. Was like, it in Welland? Mm, I don't know where I was. Because if it was in Welland, don't, because they need it here. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure they're taking advantage of people even more. Yes. But anyways. Um, but if he wanted to, he has a platform. So to say, hey, do you want to come and talk on our smaller platform and then benefit our smaller? I, that's, that's where I have an issue. But I got thinking. There's people like Nick. There's people that may have a following of sorts. That don't have an online personality. Yet. That don't necessarily have an online personality or don't think that they can just come on and talk and get somewhere. Like there's there's owners of charities and stuff like that that may have some sort of reach, that may have interesting stories that just don't know that they have the capabilities of doing this. Yeah. And then that's maybe where we could shine. That's where a polished studio comes into play because then it's this environment that people might be have it's almost as synonymous as like a newsroom at that point where like you could say this is a place where i can go and air my ideas or even somebody that might want to sell a product i mean brian caprice you might want to talk about what he has on our podcast which is free to do so then we need to somehow find sponsorship and then find a small studio doesn't have to be big doesn't have to be it needs to be consistent it needs to have some sort of appealing look to it Maybe I could make that in this very home itself, although it's not very wheelchair accessible. So hopefully the other problem, guests are handicapped. The other issue is, as it stands, I'm assuming you're doing internal first. It's not the most inviting house no, to come not into. not at all. Especially my apartment isn't inviting either. But it has a parking lot. It does. And just stuff, stuff like that, there's obviously issues. But I, I feel like there well, let's is... Let's buy a business. Okay. <laughs> if you think about it, just about any business would have an interesting space that you could permanently turn into a studio. And let the business still function in Probably, some capacity. I, I was going to talk to you about buying a bar, but... That would be fantastic. <laughs> are, are you saying that because you've been working at Mugs and Meeples Little and bit. you like bartending now? No. I just think that... Well, yeah, no, because I... I wouldn't even necessarily bartend. It's just, I was thinking about it. Restaurants are horrible businesses because the margins are so low. Yes. But bars are amazing businesses. They're places where almost my biggest interest in a bar, if I owned one, is almost to sort of hear the gossip of the town, to hear the the stories of people coming in, and perhaps you could pick out after you've been there for long enough, maybe somebody who's important, more important than the rest, and has something to offer that others don't. Like, you could... Somebody that's potentially maybe famous or, or up-and-coming, coming into your bar, would be interesting to sort of single out and talk to. 
That's true. Almost. Especially if you were a bartender, you sort of have that opportunity in some cases if the person comes alone. But it, it's an interesting finger on the pulse of a city. I mean, if you did a bar, and we're going to wrap this up. Sure. If you bought a bar, yep. then the entire podcast could be, I, I realize even mentioning it, hey, we're ripping it off, but we're not really ripping it off. You sit down, they're short episodes of just sharing a drink with a personality. Bar's a good set. Kind of like the hot wings thing, where you share a beer with somebody who has something to say, a, a celebrity of some sorts. I don't know if that has necessarily been done, but it, it a bar would be a place to do it. Yeah. We could also perhaps I try agree. to partner with a business to do that. Who? Who in your mind sticks out? Because I think the Merchandale House is too big to deal with us. Yes. Um, uh, there's not... Shehan's is kind of... I like the aesthetic look of Shehan's, the, the way the bar is set up. Gord's Place yeah. during the day. Uh, <laughs> no. Not a chance. Because we're being picky, too, I'm, I suppose, with the way that things look. I don't know. What what bar would you partner with in the region? Whether it be St. Catharines Well and Niagara Falls, whatever. Taps isn't bad. Taps is very open to new talent of sort. Like, lots of rock bands and things like that. Yeah. There's lots of things that we could do, but I think we need to continue on, get whoever we can for another seven episodes, and then just take a little break. And I'm not saying take a year break. Just, just line up to, a schedule. Of you just need to line up a schedule, figure out how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to tell this that. This is our New Year's resolution story, pretty much. Yes. I didn't want to tell you this because I didn't want to get to the point where it's, oh, now we're taking a six-month break because I've really enjoyed this. No, let's keep doing it. If you stop, then it's dead. Exactly. That's the problem. Okay, so then we get to episode 52, and then we have maybe one or two-week turnaround, and then we're back with an intro. (laughs) Let's go shoot it. Okay. That's all we need to do. That's all. It's not hard, and yet we haven't done it. It's been 52 episodes without one. Well, 45, but anyways, let's finish this drink. Let's get this movable beast underway. Happy New Year, people. Happy New Year. See you... Well, this is the week after New Year's, so see you in 20... We're time traveling. I'll see you next year. This is 2019.